Well, take your Bibles because you brought them and uh, turn with me to uh, Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. I want you to know that I love this chapter. I love this, this part of our history. I, I love that we get to be the church. I, I, I love that we're the representation of who Jesus is and what Jesus is like right here, right now. I love it. I, I, can't, I, I can't almost stand myself sometimes because I'm so excited about what's going to happen. It's not an easy assignment. The world and its values right now are not an easy ocean to navigate in any way. The practice of faith, the profile of religion has not got the best reputation right now. It seems like people are open to just about anything and any faith system other than what we believe. So it's not an easy assignment to be here right now. However, there are three things that I know with certainty because it's promised in the scripture. The first thing is, is that Jesus promised that his church would not disappear. It would become more and more powerful. It would become a game-changing force on the world scene. And I believe he's shaking things up right now. And that he's shaking us up right now. And the second thing that I know is that there's a promise that says that in this day and at this time, God would pour out his Holy Spirit on men and women, the young and the old, and nothing would be impossible for them. Nothing would be impossible. And so that makes me pretty excited. And then third is that there are more opportunities. There are more possibilities, more incredible things that are, that can, and that will happen. More than you or I can even dream or imagine. The, the, the face of the church is changing right now. And, and in five years, it'll look nothing like it does right now. And we get to be a part of the change. We get to be a part of the spiritual revolution that's unfolding right now. I'm excited. And I really don't care if you are because you will be by the time we're done. Uh, that, that change, that, that shifting, that, that seismic shift that's taking place inside of the church comes with a cost. Change always costs. There are battles that need to be fought, there's blood, sweat, and tears that need to be spilt, and there's tough choices that need to be made. And, and since we announced last fall that we were going to, to make some, some changes, we were going to step out in faith and do some things that, that we haven't done in a long while, step out and start another campus in, in Strathmore. Believe God for more people to find Jesus through your lives, through your outreach and ministry. Uh, grow in our gifts, our talents, and our abilities, and then invest everything we have in the mission that we've been called to. Since that time, things have become very expensive. We've challenged the norm. We've taken on the powers and the principalities that have insisted that the church stay neutral, stay ineffective, and there's a cost for taking on those powers. There are lies that are stated to us as though they are facts. There are fears that threaten to intimidate and drive us back to the starting line. And, and there are problems that we have not anticipated and we certainly don't have the answers to. 
The price has gone up. And yet here you are, sitting in your place, ready to charge ahead. So first, thank you for coming. So I want to do a series this, this month and maybe a little bit into next month about the processes of God, his, his working in us, what he does and how he works in our lives to make us ready, how he, how he prepares us to be the people who risk everything that they have in order to do all that he wants so that everyone can know and be related and connected to this most amazing God that we call our own. I have called the series The Potter's House because the central theme, the text that this series is built on is found in the book and on the life of Jeremiah. I'd like to tell you a little bit about Jeremiah. In his life, the nation of Israel had split into two separate entities. There was Israel proper, and that was reigned by a king and, and, and was its own separate personality, own separate entity. And then there was another nation that was identified as Judah. And, and it was to the people of Judah that God appointed Jeremiah to be his spokesman, to, to bring a message frequently to those people, to remind them that God was in charge and that God had an agenda. He was a prophet. It was a complex part of history for Judah. Occasionally there was a bit of good news, but overwhelmingly he was speaking on behalf of God to a people who were not at all interested in what God was saying. On, on, on top of that, Jeremiah's message was not a, a hope-filled greeting card of, of peace and joy. His basic line, if you could boil all the words down to, to one little line, his basic line was death, doom, and destruction are becoming, because, coming because you are a stubborn and rebellious people. God has to get your attention before he can bring you around to your destiny. So like wild horses, you are going to have to be broken so that God can get you to your destiny. That, that, that's not a popular message. It was a difficult assignment. And Jeremiah wasn't the only one speaking for God at that time. There were some pretty impressive and powerful names that were at work, including people like Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Ezekiel and Daniel. However, our man Jeremiah fights a unique battle over some very unique areas. He fights a battle for, for real and different... Uh, for on four very real and different battlefields. The first one, the first battlefield was a personal one. Jeremiah's personality was, was quiet, was reserved. He, he liked being out of the spotlight. He, he wasn't an upfront kind of person. He'd grown up in a spiritual home. Uh, his, his father was a priest, and it had been Jeremiah's dream to carry on in the footsteps of his father, it, behind the curtain, offering sacrifices to God on behalf of the people, but pretty much isolated from the people. But God had requested that Jeremiah go public. God had said, listen, I don't want you to be a priest behind the curtain. I want you to come out and I want you to be a spokesman, a prophet to the nations. This just wasn't out of Jeremiah's comfort zone. 
Jeremiah stood there feeling inadequate, felt that he was somewhat less than what the job required. So he was fighting a personal battle. On top of that, the second battlefield was with the people that he was supposed to speak to. They're, they were his people, and, and the message was one of rebuke and, and of correction. And, and from our perspective, perspective, often, we do not see correction as an act of love. But God, had, God says to us that if he loves us, then he corrects us. He disciplines us. And part of the title, Jeremiah the Weeping Prophet, comes from the fact that Jeremiah was an empathetic soul. And, and correcting his people was an extremely difficult task for him. He, he stood with his people as a, as a caring shepherd, but was now required to deal with them as a powerful, prophetic, and corrective voice. And it again pushed him out of his comfort zone. The third battlefield was that of the national mood at the time. It was perhaps not anti-God, but certainly it was lawless. It was rebellious, libertarian, if not leaning towards spiritual anarchy. Let, let each person do what was right in their own eyes was the sentiment of the time. It seemed like an impossible task to bring this people along with, from where they were to get them to a place of repenting and obeying God. There were no signs of hope. There was no token of help. When he looked out day after day after day, for 40 years he prophesied to the nation. He just didn't see a lot of change. In fact, at one point... There was an attempted resignation on Jeremiah's part. He got the gumption up to go before God, and he says, God, you've given me this impossible assignment to preach death, doom, and destruction. In all the years that I've been obedient to the call, not one convert has come. Not, not one turnaround has been reported. I, I really want to quit. I want to walk away from the assignment, and I want to go to the private, quiet corner where no one sees, no one hears me. I, I'm wanting to drop out of the mission. I'm wanting to quit, God. He was fighting the national mood. But the last battlefield, the motivation, the driving force behind this national rebellion was the forces of evil that wanted to derail God's plan, not only for Judah, but for all of God's people. For the arrival of a Savior through his genetic line, the hatred that Jeremiah faced was not only the people, but every weapon, every scheme, every device of the evil one was employed to make sure that Jeremiah did not succeed in his, his assignment. It was fierce. It was, it was dirty. It was in an intimidating battle that was bent on bringing God's spokesman to submit to the intimidation intimidation and quit bringing the voice of God to the people who belong to God. Everything that could push him back was unleashed. There were four battlefields, a feeling of incompetence, a heart-wrenching love, an attachment to the people who had, who had gone rogue, 
a lawless society that could care less about what God wanted or was saying, and a spiritual enemy that was sold out to destroy Jeremiah. I think that some of you can identify this morning with at least one, two, or maybe all of those. I think that Jeremiah might have something to teach us. The the, the thoughts that we will be concentrating on come from chapter 18 of Jeremiah. You, You need to understand that the book is not written chronologically. It's written on a scroll, and there was some initial messages that he was given, and it's at the top of the scroll, and he would go city to city, town to town, and he would read out what God has said to him. But then as the, as, as the ministry continued, as the, as the work went on, he would have his scribe write some other stuff. And so there's some stuff that was right at the beginning that's at the end of the scroll and some of the stuff that ended the, ended the story was at the very beginning of the scroll. And so it's not written chronologically. So in the midst of these battles on various fronts, God comes to Jeremiah, picks a time and says, Jeremiah, we need to talk. Listen to the information in chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. After years of difficulty, after years that lacked results, years of declaring that God would act, and, and there was nothing on the scene, nothing in the history books where, God, where, where Jeremiah could point and say, see, I told you, God said he would do that. God comes to Jeremiah and says, I want to show you something. Let's, let's meet at the potter's shop. I, I'm, I'm a person... Maybe I have a learning disability, but I, I, I hop around a lot inside my brain. And, and so when somebody says, let me tell you something, it, it takes all my energy and focus just to listen. I, I, I learn better when you say, show me. I want to show you. My learning style is that way, show me. And so Jeremiah might have been that way as well. And God says, listen, I have something that I want to show you. I I will illustrate my plan through a demonstration that I want you to see at the potter's shop. When we're finished there, Jeremiah, you'll understand what's going on. I believe wholeheartedly that God has a detailed plan for each one of your lives. The songwriter King David said that each of our days has, has destiny wrapped up in it. And that destiny, that purpose, was written in a book for each day, for each person, before we were even conceived. The steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. They are directed. They're given purpose every day, every, every interaction, every, every incident that comes across our path has, has purpose. You go through every major character, every significant story of Scripture, and you find God showing up with a plan. God showing up and saying to various people at various times, I have a plan and I want to show it to you. Moses meets with God and the details before he even starts the great exodus are given to him. 
God let Mordecai be, Mordecai be in specific places so that he could overhear the plots and the plans for a Jewish extermination and, and gave Esther plans to avoid the Holocaust that was planned. Mary was told by the angel and then by an intercessor named Simeon, and then by a prophetess named Anna, that there is a plan, there is a God-given plan for your life. I believe that what happened in their life happens in our lives. The Scripture teaches that God directs us, that God shows us, that God speaks to us about His plan. And so Jeremiah is overwhelmed by the assignment and by the lack of public response. And God says, I have a plan. The the chaos of your time will not obstruct the plan. The opposition that you face will not disrupt the plan. The difficulties of your situation will not derail the plan. You need to know, Jeremiah, there is a plan and that the plan will come together. Even if you can't see it right now, I want to show you the plan. I want you to meet me at the, sh- the potter's shop and let me tell you about the plan. I don't know if that happens to you, but it's happened to me where I've been panicked. I've been overwhelmed. I've not seen or understood the plan, and God has shown up to speak to me about the plan. The year was 1986. I was 27 years old, and I'd been hired by this church the year before as a youth and assistant pastor. I got here on a Friday, and almost everything started to unravel on Sunday. I remember saying to a good friend four days after I'd unpacked the boxes, I think I've made a great mistake. There was trouble, there was conflict, there was misunderstanding, there was difficulty. The senior minister had left that year. There'd been a huge exodus of people. And eventually the board asked me to consider taking on the role of senior pastor. I was 27 years old. Chronologically, I I won't even comment on where I was maturity-wise, but not at 27, I'll tell you that. I, I was younger than David is right now. And this group of men stood before me and said, we'd like you to take on this church. I hated confrontation. I was sort of a fun-loving, prank-playing kid who should have been more grown up than he was. But the assignment was hard and difficult and didn't have one little bit of fun attached to it. My my inexperience, my, my lack of wisdom... At that stage of my development or underdevelopment, I was missing gravitas. I I, I was certain that I wasn't supposed to say yes, but they'd asked me to pray about it, and so I came into this room and was on the floor with my face buried in the carpet, which at the time was a brown, ugly shag rug. Some of you know that very carpet. There's nothing like praying and fasting and breathing in shag carpet up your nose and down your throat as you pray for God's will to be manifest in your life. 
But I was in this room by myself praying and asking God what I should do. And he made it clear to me, not once, not twice, but three times that he had moved me here for a purpose and that I was to stand firm. I was to get on board with God's plan. I was never to look back. That he would let me know when to stop and to make sure that I didn't quit before that time was indicated by him. That was in 1986. And he still hasn't indicated that I should quit. In in your situation today, I want you to know that in the chaos, in the difficulty, in the face of opposition, God wants you to know that he has a plan. He wants you to know that he wants you to, that you're a crucial part of the plan. You're not forgotten. You're not stranded. You're not shipwrecked. God has a plan, a perfect plan. Not a simple plan, not an easy plan, but a perfect plan that is leading you to a place where you will eventually be able to declare, I have moved from victory to victory. You have led me all the way. Thank you, Jesus. You may not be there yet. And it may be a while before you get there, but there will be a day that you will stand and say, you have led me all the way. Church, I want you to know God has a plan. Remind yourself of that. Write write down the things that God shows you, the things that God says to you. So that when your enemy taunts you and says, are you kidding me? In the middle of the chaos and disappointment, you're going to tell me that there's a plan? Where's this plan? I want you to be able to declare confidently that God will make a way, his plan will make a way where there seems to be no way. That the enemy, you are a liar, and I know that you don't know God's plan, that you're trying to hinder God's plan, but I'm here to carry out God's plan. It's important that you write this stuff down so that you don't forget. For me, that's a pretty, pretty exciting part of the, of, the, of the story, but it gets even better. God said to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's shop, and there I will speak to you. God is a communicator. He speaks clearly. He speaks purposefully. He speaks precisely. He's more willing to talk than we are often ready to listen. In fact, that's often the problem. We're quite often so busy talking about what we think is important, so busy complaining about the circumstances and the unfair treatment, so busy demanding that something be done about our plight that we don't often take time or effort to be still before God and allow Him to speak. It was Jesus himself who promised that those who belonged to him would hear his voice. And and when he spoke, they would have such a confidence in who he was and all that he could do that they would follow that voice with the intent to obey whatever it asked. My sheep know my voice. What's the sense in having a voice if you're not going to use it? Jesus says, I fully intend to use my voice. You're going to hear me speak. I think that part of what makes this period of our history so remarkable, so exciting, 
so adventurous is that in this church, in this city, I hear more and more often people saying to me, Pastor Bill, I I heard God speak to me, and this is what he said. I love that. I love that. I, I, I want you to know that God speaking is the norm. God speaking to you, not through somebody else to you, but God speaking to you is the norm. That's what the design is. As clearly, as convincingly as God spoke to Jeremiah, I want you to know that he wants to and plans on speaking to you. God is a communicator, and in the middle of the chaos, in the midst of opposition and difficulties, according to the promises of Isaiah chapter 30, verse 12, we have this promise. You have this promise. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go. And it will be plain as to whether you were to go to your left or to your right. He speaks precisely. I want you to write that verse down. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 12. I want you to underline it. I want you to know that verse. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 12. Let me, let me just read it again. Your, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you a voice will say this is the way you should go and it will be plain as to whether you are to go to the right or to the left. That's pretty exciting to me. Old Testament New Testament, and we who are living in the 29th chapter of Acts can expect, can understand, can testify that God is a communicator, that he speaks. We'll talk more about this next week, but I need you to know that God who called you is the God who will speak to you in the way that's most effective for you. There are people in this church who who hear God through visuals. They they see pictures. They they understand things visually. And then there's other people who who have strong impressions. They, They didn't hear a voice. They didn't see anything. But there's just something that they hadn't been thinking before. And it's just so strong that they know it's God. And then there's others who hear voice. The voice of God. Just... Try sometime in the, the bus or the C train, just I hear voices and see, see what happens. Things get really interesting. God is a communicator and he spoke to Jeremiah and he will speak to you. Another thing that I think is vital to understand is the motivation of God's dealings in our lives. You need to know the heart that's behind the God that you serve. God has many names. He has has many titles that are attached to his name. Descriptors that are an attempt to show you, show me how big, how amazing, how powerful this God is. I have a few titles. I'm a son. I'm a husband. I'm a father, a brother, friend, pastor. I'm a Canadian. I'm a man. And and all of those descriptors are an attempt to help you know uh, something about who I am and where I fit. God has many descriptors. Almighty God, good shepherd, judge of all the earth, king who is above every king that ever has been and ever will be. 
eternal, never-ending, all-powerful, all-knowing. The list goes on. And, and one of my favorite titles that's attached to his name is Father. Father. He says, listen, as, as one of my children, I want you to boldly come before me and use my name, Father. Don't hesitate. Don't, don't hold back. Don't hang back. Just boldly come. One of the heartbreaks that I deal with is that my working with people, I run into so many people. So many people who have no idea, no meaningful picture of what it means to have a loving father in their life. The enemy is attempted to eliminate that understanding of what a father is, what a father does by, by either removing a dad completely from the picture or distorting the picture in such a way that they, they, they don't see what, what father was to mean, to they don't have an understanding of, of what a father gives to his children, the heart, the motivation of what a father's heart is like. As a father of two adult children, you need to know that there is nothing that I would hold back from my kids. There's nothing that I wouldn't attempt for them. If they called in the middle of the night and said, listen, I need help, I would get out of my bed, I would get in my car, and I would go to wherever they were. You need to know that. If they need help, I will find the best help that I can. Whatever they need, I will do whatever I can to meet that need. That's the heart of a father. In in measuring compassion, in, in measuring and comparing my love for my kids and God's love for you, one of his children, my love doesn't even show up on the measuring stick in comparison. What, whatever they need, I will try to do whatever you need, he can do. I say that because in the midst of the chaos, the opposition, and the difficulty, we often go to a picture of God that's not based in truth. We often shy away from God because we believe that we are just suffering the consequences of our poor choices. We often see Him as a payback God. You messed up back here, so now it's time to pay the piper, and you're going to go to the penalty box. you got trouble. Uh, you're going to be alone. Do not collect $200. Just go to the penalty box. I stand with some people in, in very difficult, dark moments, and so very often they will look at me, tears running down their face, and ask, is God mad at me? Is he mad at us for something we did wrong back, way back in our history? In, in, are we being punished? And that breaks my heart because that's not God at all. That's not God at all. Church, hear me. There is no one who loves you more. There is no one who has your interests, your best interests at the center of his plan and his purpose more than your heavenly father does. There is no one who aches more for you when you hurt than God. 
The, the, the word declares that the number of thoughts that he has for you as an individual per day cannot be counted. That you are the apple of his eye, the pride of his life, the center of his attention, the focus of all that he does, the purpose of his existence. He loves you without exception, without restriction or constraint. And so Jeremiah, in the midst of speaking to the nation, words of correction and discipline, has God wanting to to bring insight into the contents of of God's heart. It's a familiar word in this house and should be one that comes to you automatically in those chaotic times when you feel like your back is up against the wall and you're not sure if you have the resources to go all the way through what you're facing. It's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, the Lord says. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future, to give you a hope. Promise and insight spoken to Judah at one of the most difficult times in their history, but no less true for you, no less true for me. It's it's not a promise to keep us out of the difficult places of life, or, or less dangerous places that our, our call takes us. It, it's a promise that those battles that are raging and moving forward, but, but the outcome is secure. His love will see you through. The plans of God will ultimately bring us to victory. That, that, that the future has been determined and there is always solid reason to hope. Always solid reason to hope. If it weren't for hope, this, this job that you have been called to, that I've been called to, would be way too hard. We'd just, we'd, we'd just quit. But there's always reason to hope. The, the New Testament version of this statement is found in Romans 8, 28. I'm reading it out of the Passion. So we are convinced... That every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing God's good into our lives. For we are his devoted, loving followers who've been called to fulfill his designed purpose. Don't you like that? Doesn't that that help? Wouldn't Monday be a, a bit different if you started out by reading that on the bathroom mirror as you got ready? We're convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven. David, will you come? I I do not know what chaos you've been facing. I do not know what opposition has been warring with you or what difficulty that you've had to endure in these last few days or weeks. I've talked to many of you, and you, you've said to me, boy, Pastor Bill, this is, this is a challenging time in our lives. This is a challenging time in our, in our house, in our business, in our, in our situation right now. Part of that is because we've said we're going to go through, and so we're coming up against opposition that's trying to push us back. The cost has gone up. Do you understand that? Do you get that? The cost has gone up. I I don't know what you're facing, but I can assure you that there is a plan. 
It's, it's not chaos. There's a plan. I can promise you that it's a good plan, that it will not end in disaster, but one that breathes hope and brings you to a meaningful and fulfilling future. I can tell you that God is in control of your situation, is wanting to communicate with you the plan that he has. I guarantee it. I'm looking back on my autobiography and I'm thinking about moments of chaos, times where it seemed like the whole thing was going downhill and fast. That the end seemed to be disaster. It's, it's happened so, so often that I'm wondering if I should call my autobiography disaster averted or, or, or something. It just is that kind of frequent stuff. It's a bit of a surprise how many of those moments there have been, but at every one of those times, there's been one of those potter's house moments where God said, listen, I, I want to show you. I, I want to speak to you. I, I want to unfold the mystery of what's going on in front of you right now. I want to show you where you fit in. There have been moments where details, things that have produced themselves as facts have come, and, and if you were to believe what you saw, for sure you'd back away. But at some point, some, somewhere, God has spoken a promise, and, and even though that says no, this says yes, and so you hold on to this and you just keep moving forward just keep moving forward. I'm so thankful for a godly partner because sometimes there's, there's a seesaw effect. One's down while the other's up. If the seesaw breaks, we're in trouble, but usually it's working like this. And one will say, what's going on? Where, where's God? What's, what's the answer? And the other one will say, we have a promise. We're not stopping now. Just because it's hard, we're not stopping. We're going to keep moving. We're holding on to the promise. Sometimes that moment was found in Scripture when God made the story come alive for me. And it was clear that God didn't just act for that individual, but he was showing me what he was going to do for me. It just came alive. And it was like, Bill, take out Jeremiah's name and put yours in because this is what God's doing for you. Sometimes it, it was a messenger that God sent to me, uh, an example, a story, a message that God would not allow me to escape or to miss. And it just became real. It just... This is, this is God speaking to me, just like Jeremiah going and speaking to Judah. Sometimes it was one of those incredible, incredible divine encounters when God shows up and he speaks as clearly to me as I'm speaking to you right now.
but a moment of clarity in the chaos, an impartation of of courage in the face of opposition, a word of instruction on how to get through the difficulty that was before me. Sometimes God quickens somebody else. There's there's been moments this week as I've been preparing for this message where where I've been going to this and I've been saying, God, you've got to make this real to my people because we're we're coming to one of those earth-shaking times in our history and, and they need to know it. There have been times when God has dropped one of your names in my in my heart and said, Pray now. They're facing decisions now. They're facing opposition now. Pray for them now. And at some point, I'll, I'll come to you and I'll say, hey, Wednesday at 3 o'clock, what, what were you doing? Because I know that God was at work in your life and he was pulling together a team that would support you. What God did for Jeremiah, he'll do for you. He'll meet you. He'll unfold the plan. And he'll speak clearly. It feels like for me that I have a very strong word of reminder for you who are battling, for you who are in the midst of chaos or disappointment today. We've been parked on this verse of promise for nine months. It's how we started the fall season, and every once in a while I bring it out as a reminder that God does have a plan. It's bigger, it's more vast than what you see, what you understand. And I feel like I need to bring it out again this morning. Our our, our job is to hold on to the promise to show up for the battle and believe that God will bring the intended outcome. And and, and so before I bring bring the promise, the the word that I believe God has for you, if if you're in the midst of chaos, if you're in the midst of difficulty, if you're discouraged, if you've been giving any thought at all to quitting, I want you to stand right where you are. It doesn't matter what the field is or what the difficulty is. If that's you, stand up. Don't be embarrassed because we've all been there. We've all been there. But if that's you, will you stand up? Thank you for your honesty and your courage. The promise is one that we've been in for for months. And I hope that as I read it out, that the breath of God will come on it. And it'll bring strength to where you are. It's a word for you. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you to accomplish everything that he's given to you. It's Ephesians 4 or 3:20. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. And some of you have got some pretty big requests out there. But in in measuring your request to the abilities of God, it's it's pretty tiny. He will Achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. It's a word of promise to you. I want